Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 71 of the Design Exec Club Town Hall series. This week, we're in uh, Europe and the UK. And uh, we're talking about design innovation and a strong economy. How do they marry together? What happens there? I'm joined by some amazing minds here. Hello, Simon. Hello, Philip. Hello. Hello. How are we all? Very well, thanks. Yeah, enjoying the sunshine. Thanks. Well, actually, we have to talk about the sunshine because I believe today could be considered the last day of sunshine (laughs) for you. So we're not going to hold you out of the sunshine for too long, okay? So we'll make sure that you can get out there. Um, Often we think of design as having an economic leverage and economic impact, but because design historically is started in the arts faculty at universities and not the economic faculties. We don't think about design as being an economic driver. You know, it's more about talking about the process and the people and the materiality. We forget to talk about how it accelerates through innovation, how the methodologies come up with human-centered results that wind up actually working first time, not dying. Because that part of design to me is really interesting, how it accelerates our economies. Philip, you've spent a lot of time in this space and actually you've, uh, you've recently started a, a, a new role which even accelerates in this space. So help me, help me understand a little bit more about what design innovation and the strong economy means to you. Yeah, um, thanks very much, Mark. I mean, it's, it's an interesting, I mean, I find it a fascinating area, but I also find it an area that uh, possibly as a result of everything that we've been through in the past uh, year and a half is is changing um, and I'd be interested as the conversation develops to uh, to hear what other uh, contributors think about that um, but certainly I mean uh, we're, we're all used to working uh, in economies in businesses that are predicated on the need for growth the more growth the better on on the basis that uh, the more growth will generate more receipts for government and hopefully provide serv- more services for the benefit of everyone. Um, but, but you know, I think, I think design is seen as a, a major contributor uh, to kind of competitive advantage. Um, there are those businesses that use it better than others. And um, I think by and large, I think we're all aware of those that, that are succeeding through that use of design. Um, but the point I make about how it, it's evolving, I think, is that, that perhaps in the future, uh, people are starting to question uh, how we measure an economy's success and, and whether or not growth is the right thing to be looking at judging success by. And as a, as a result, you know, whether or not design's contribution to growth is, is a key driver of economic success in the future. I think we're going to be increasingly concerned with with well-being, uh, happiness, um, and perhaps looking at at, um, a more uh, egalitarian society um, where perhaps, you know, the the role that that design may have had in the creation, perhaps, for example, of of luxury products uh, may no longer be um, quite as as dominant as it has been uh, in the past. Yeah, and, I, and so I think, I think it's really interesting that you brought up there that in the 80s, 90s, and noughties, we, we saw that um, 
design was really about the one to five percent of the population it was about luxury it was about people who were commissioning design were at the top end of the market and generally only the top end of the market could afford it but i've seen some amazing things happen where community organizations government organizations startups um, organizations that are trying to go through um, uh, say rapid transformation but they've adopted a design-led approach as the most proven reliable method to go and change from one state to another. So I think what we're seeing is the style decades of design are on the wane, but the adoption of design as an accelerator for innovation and innovation that works when it lands is phenomenal. And so I see two camps. You've got the traditional design artisans about artifacts, there, um, that's waning off a little bit, but you're seeing the people who are using the design methodology across the entire organization that probably doesn't result in an artifact are definitely on the ascension and that they're multiplying the economic returns out for people. Will, do you think that's a fair representation of what we're seeing happening? I think in an ideal uh, scenario, you know, design is implicit in almost every part of the economy, be it a service delivery to consumer, be it a systems approach to complex um, delivery issues. Um, I, I seem to, on these conversations, all, always reference the, the week's political subjects. So I'm gonna do it again. Um, we're busy, uh, or the UK government is busy trying to sell in a completely new package for social care, which is something that generations of politicians have refused to do. This is uh, sort of a first in a very long kind of ongoing conversation about how to do it. The, the arguments pr principally, or the discussion is around the strength of the economy. What does the tax implication mean for the strength of the economy? Which, you know, is obviously a key consideration in terms of revenue generation to pay for these uh, hugely expensive services. But actually there's not a lot of discussion about how the delivery is done and what it may what it means for the individual uh, consumers of those products or the, the the needy and actually how do we create a system that's well thought through sustained makes sense both economically and and for the people who use that who use that system so uh, wouldn't it be amazing wouldn't it just be amazing to have a designer pop up on the news program and talk about the approach that should be taken to that systems uh, thing so, uh, you know, I, I I think Philip's absolutely right. It's um, you know as much as anything, it's about how that how the how how strength growth is interpreted. Um, but I don't think there's a, many places I've seen where design doesn't have a function or a role at some point. Um, it's just making sure that that voice comes through and that there is an appreciation that ultimately the creativity and the results that design is has the potential to deliver should be taken seriously from the first minute all the way through to the last. That's where we want to be. Yeah. Simon, I'm going to go across to you and have, because you're involved where you, you're seeing lots of people who are trying to go work out what their next role is. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. And because you're involved with that, it, it used to be that it was about their portfolio. It's here's a picture of something that I did. Now it's actually more of a statement about the um, impact, the efficacy of what they've done and the exposure to you know, various techniques and projects. It's probably less about the thing they made than the process and the projects that they've been involved in. Are you seeing that? 
I would say that it's about um, where they see themselves and where they want to be, where they're going. So it's about the destination. It's about the future. So I think there are lots of people that I speak to that want to be doing excellent things and they want to know how to get to be in that position, whether it is by improving the job that they have or creating a, an amazing portfolio so it's not just about oh yes i'll just be a designer and they're satisfied people are ambitious more so than ever and you're right they will um show you know their work and have a portfolio etc but there seems to be a drive to better themselves and that could be because we've all had this chance to stop and review and now people, like Philip said, now people don't want to just say, oh, yes, I could, I grew the company by 20%. Um, so I think that the word economy, when I was thinking about it, I think it's, it's not just about the finances. It's not just about income. It's not just about revenue, but it is about um, lifestyle is not a strong enough word, actually. It's about what can we as individuals contribute to make life better um and therefore it's an economy that is is not uh, just a fiscal one but it's actually about how we balance things um and that might be related to kind of you know you know the bottom line but i think that doesn't matter so much as to, to people as it as it did it's not the driver it used to be it's much more about yes people want to have a uh, a quality of life that has elements of friends, work, leisure, travel, etc., but not at the cost of the environment or their their health or other things. That is what I'm seeing. So people are still um, driven to you know create and still driven to be good and excellent in their jobs, but it's not the be all and end all. So there's definitely been a shift. Absolutely, that's what I'm seeing. Okay. And. And I think you're right. I don't know whether that answers your question, but yeah. No, it does. And, uh, and uh, we're on the video for us is a little bit stilted there, but the audio is fine for us. So thank you for that. Um, so we've got Philip mentioned about tax receipts. Perfect. Will's mentioned about the cost of delivery. Simon, you've mentioned the dimensions of well, what makes up uh, a rich and wealthy society in there you know there's more dimensions and so i suppose if we go into an economy we know if we're trying to go and grow a business that you can either grow revenue or you can find efficiencies that are in there or it may be that some of the products that you have or some of the facilities that you have are bloat and you don't need them and there's others that you do need and that's that's how we go and actually work out how to evolve and and move into the future but what I'm finding really interesting is that there are a bunch of people out there doing this innovation thing and they're effectively taking the status quo and making the status quo irrelevant at a rate that we've never seen before. And so as you make the status quo irrelevant, we call that disruption. So things that used to be very common for us are now saying, well, do we need them anymore? Is that necessary? 
But then as the disruption's coming in, many of the disruptors are doing things which are almost taking us back to being the working poor because the legislation isn't keeping up. So then we wind up with what looks like a strong stock market, but a very unhealthy economy because there's people who are working, but they need supplementary government services because they're, they're not getting enough out of the remuneration from their, their job or their pay. And the organizations that are doing the disrupting aren't paying tax in, in, the, in that country. So we've got low tax receipts, we've got a high demand on social services and support services. That's not a, a strong economy, is it? It's actually, we're seeing that this the innovation process is actually hollowing out aspects of the economy rather than building new valuable dimensions like you were talking about, Simon. So I think, I think that we've got, there's a very interesting role that design plays here in having a conversation about, well, not all innovation is necessarily healthy innovation. Not all growth is healthy. And we need to work out what some of the values are. We need to work out, are we being efficient? You know, I, I, I know co-design processes are, are tremendously important because what co-design does is the people who are meant to be the recipients of the benefit turn around and say, this is what I need I don't necessarily need what you want to give me. What I need is this, and there's a mismatch. And, and if you can get rid of all those things that aren't necessarily needed, you get efficiencies. And so that's a very interesting way to apply design thinking, design methodologies, to engage designers to ask, what is the unmet need? Let's go and make sure that's service. So I think it's a... It, Although we're not necessarily economists and talking about how economic leverage works in international foreign trade, et cetera, we can still work out there's a pretty basic model. Tax receipts are, are valuable. Tax receipts that are used inefficiently is waste, so it's not sustainable. But then there's also the people who need the services. Maybe what we have to do is identify those unmet needs and make sure that they're there. And it'd be terrible if some of those unmet needs came through disruptive players who weren't paying taxes in the country. And we should be arresting that. Because I, I remember being at a London Tech Week event and I was this was possibly the most interesting weakening of, of an economy I saw. And it, and it happened to be in the UK, but it's happening in all countries. It was in the Tower of London. It was the people from London and Partners and they were... They were championing how a couple of billion, billion pound valuation, valuation companies had been bought by overseas entities and that, that this was considered a success. And I'm in the Tower of London where the crown jewels are and I'm being told that the crown jewels of intellectual property and the loss of the tax receipts and the return on the investment for the intellectual property that had been developed in the United Kingdom, the fact that that was going overseas was good for the economy. And I was thinking, when did we begin to misunderstand the economic factors that are taking place here? It was designed in the UK. It was based off university research that was funded in the UK. It was something that could have been providing jobs and wealth for generations in the UK. And yet a government or a government-sponsored agency was celebrating the fact that it had been sold to a foreign party. And that just felt like, are we celebrating somebody stealing the crown jewels of the United Kingdom at that point? 
And Philip, I can see you smiling there and there. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? We, you know, like we need to make sure that we're creating future value, like the Design Council did so successfully after the Second World War. Future value that creates revenue, that creates jobs, that means that we've got efficient systems that give people a great quality of life and that they have dignity. You know, that kind of me is the, a beautiful continuum. Do you think we're doing enough? I mean, it, it, it's really interesting you pick this as, a, as a, an example, Mark, and, and uh, the reason for the wry smile is, is I think only yesterday there was a, an example in the paper of one of the leading uh, manufacturing businesses um, uh, dealing with graphene, uh, which is a, a, a carbon-based material developed in the UK, I think developed by um, scientists at uh, University of Manchester, and this particular business um, is in the process of being acquired by a Chinese um, company. And it's being called in for review, not, not because of the economic uh, circumstances or, or the potential implications, but, uh, but for defense reasons. Um, you know, and uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of physical defense against economic defense. And so, you know, I think, I think there is a, a history of, uh, of UK businesses, uh, UK hemorrhaging uh, a lot of the success that uh, has been created here, and uh, I think that is likely to continue. We're we're always being uh, um, reinforced with the fact that that we have either the fifth or the sixth most successful economy in the world. Um, yet, you know, there are massive problems uh, that that won't be addressed and um, reference to the the social care that that will mentioned earlier is is but another one of those and you know i think i think on top of that you have over the past i suppose 15 20 years uh you know the uh, the activities of of amazon apple facebook google and and how much has been taken from the economy um, in terms of, of receipts and how little has been given back in terms of, of tax into the exchequer. All of, all of their operations, of course, absolutely legal, but, but nothing done uh, to address um, what's, what's resulting from it. So, yeah, I think it, it, uh, it does lead to quite an interesting um, state of affairs. Whether or not we should be... Uh, more defensive about it um you know i think i think it's a really interesting question um because you know there i i suppose the counter argument is that you know a lot of talent comes to the uk or perhaps used to come to the uk uh to help those businesses grow and so uh you know it's that was that was always seen as a good thing but maybe in the future um uh, we'll need to to look at how we uh, assess the the value that we gain from those businesses yeah, I think yeah, one of the things that we all have benefited from in our life is a walk in the botanical garden. You know, uh, whether it's Kew Gardens or somewhere else in the world, those glorious gardens. And in all of those gardens, it's not permitted to go take cuttings. Because if every visitor that came there took a cutting, eventually the plant dies. Because propagation theory is that you can take a certain amount of the plant, but you can't take too much. And I think what we're seeing is from a design perspective that maybe there's been too much that's been cut and that's, a, and that's a, in social services, too much that's been cut. 
in intellectual property leaving the country, too much that's been cut, and a whole range of ways. And so as far as solving some of that, we need to actually first identify what was too much, which is really a sustainability question, not an environmental sustainability, but economic sustainability. And then it all comes down to the social values as well. Can people have dignity if the only jobs that are available to them are jobs where they don't get enough remuneration to cover a modest life? You know, I think there's a, we can say, well, people are lacking dignity if they can't afford a modest life. But I don't know in the United Kingdom, but I know in Australia, a modest life is not defined in law. There is no government agency that says, this is what the modest life is. And you'll hear, you know, if there's charitable organisations, it's actually, we've been set up so that we can provide services to people who are, um, who are living below a modest life. And you say, well, what's a modest life? That used to be called poverty. So we, we have no definition of what modern poverty is. But I think many of the things that we're doing are leading to modern poverty. And we can't design that out if we can't identify the problem or the need in the first place. So I think this is why the design for 99% of the population is the new era, which is how do we solve the problems for 99% of the population, not solve the needs for 1%. And that's a very interesting year, particularly coming into London Design Festival. Is London Design Festival there for the one to 5% of the UK population? as an arts festival extravaganza, or is it there to go and solve the needs of 99% of the population of the United Kingdom? It's a very interesting challenge. What do you think, Will? Because you've got heritage that takes you through the Design um, uh, Council, you've got uh, London Design Festival, you've got 100% Design, now Design London. Do you think it's uh, those programs are addressing the 99 or are they closer to addressing the less than 10% of the population? Um, well, I think um, in that scope of work that I've done over those years, much of it supported by um, the, all the people on this call, um, you know, covers a range of different uh, components. Some of it very commercially focused, particularly things like uh, Clarkmore Design Week and 100% Design, um, and others more cultural, the London Design Festival, certainly. Um, you know, the festival is quite a sprawling program of different component parts, but ultimately it doesn't necessarily reach beyond those that are either switched on to, uh, interested or ha have a professional kind of connection with design. Um, I think it does wonders to sort of talk about the city's creativity in a, in a broader sense. So it contributes to a kind of seasonal program that celebrates fashion and film and art. Um, so there's a kind of general alignment there. I, I, I guess really the, the, the part of my background that's most relevant is really the design council because it's, it's, a, it's a permanent institution and you've referenced it, Mark, in, uh, in the role it played post-war. Um, you know, it, 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 it's one of, a, uh, one of a particular type of organization and a lot of different countries have design bodies, design um, institutions that support that their industry, uh, make the case for design um, and, and plug different things in. And, and even in the relatively short time I've had an association with it and, and, and Philip particularly, 
you know, 20, 20 years or so, you know, it's changed, it's morphed, it's uh, come under pressure, it's um, done a whole range of different things, it's been stretched in all sorts of different directions, which on one hand suggests that there's some flexibility and it does address issues that are uh, perhaps not the obvious ones for design to be plugged into, it does reference beyond the 1%, if you like. But on another hand, it suggests that, you know, government, which ultimately needs to subsidize an organization that shouldn't be completely commercial, doesn't quite know what to do with it. Um, and, you know, I think it's current, my reading of it currently is it is going through a bit of a renaissance, whether or not it can appeal to the 99, uh, the problems, the challenges that the 99% face. Uh, is, a, is another question and we just have to sort of test it on its different kind of projects and campaigns. But one thing is for sure, it isn't particularly interested in, you know, the kind of luxury uh, value add, um, you know, the exclusivity that design has, has um, you know, got a bad name for, I suppose. I, I think, you know, design by its nature can be quite off-putting. I think culturally this country's moved a long way over those 20 years, if you like, about understanding the design the impact of design but we're still a long way from it just being everywhere i think that's really the problem and again i'd be interested to hear philip particularly has a knowledge of the role of design in in another country which is denmark um and for me the conversations he and i have had on this forum and others you know that benchmark is is something completely different and actually the, the majority of the population do and can relate to how design works Hello. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's um, forgive me for banging on about it again, but uh, I will. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. I mean, it is it's about, um, I think, the role that design plays and the role that design plays throughout society. Um, and I think in, in Denmark, it is absolutely embedded in um, something of the, the national DNA. Um, I, of course, um, share this share this discreetly with just a few people um in that when i first started working with with danish businesses um i was uh, fairly, fairly laughed out of the door when i started talking about you know the importance for any business to be um using design because it's you know it's kind of something that everybody there knows and everybody appreciates the value of um and it's in a way that that we really have uh, no conception of uh, here. Um, we're very much driven by, I think in the UK, we're very much driven by, by price. Um, and things, uh, values such as quality um, and uh, design aesthetic are um, a, a very uh, rare in uh, UK, pro UK designed products um, and in the UK marketplace. So yeah, I think, I think we do have a, a very uh, perhaps I think we even have a, an inflated view of uh, our own success in design terms in the UK. Um, I think where we do have a, a lot to shout about is design education. Um, and certainly at, uh, at, at postgraduate level, I think that's still incredibly strong. I think uh, the, the Royal College, the Glasgow um, School of Art and uh, and I think one or two others that I will be embarrassed uh, to remember after this, um, you know, are, are still amongst the very best uh, in terms of uh, worldwide design schools. 
Um, but at the other end of, of the scale, uh, I think design education is declining um, and continues its decline through uh, through primary and, and secondary schools. And you know these are, are serious issues that will impact on our competitiveness as a nation, but also in our ability to care for our population as a whole. Um, because we need to actually have, uh, I think, a, a, a critical mass of people who have an understanding about critical problem solving. Um, and, you know, that's one of the best things that comes from a design education. And if we don't have that, then, you know, it, it really concerns me how um, we will maintain any form of international competitiveness um, and, and still be the kind of place that you know, despite everything over the past couple of years, you know, people still, uh, or at least some people still want to come uh, to be part of. So I think, I think there's a lot of very significant strategic issues that, uh, you know, I only hope someone somewhere is, uh, is taking notes of. So, so we've got this really interesting thing that there's, there's people who are accelerating into the future at a rate which we can barely keep up with. And every one of those organizations is using design to actually accelerate their innovation. But they're not actually sharing the culture that they have internally to do that because it's like their secret source. You know, that's like the weapon that we're keeping to ourselves. And I know when I began doing the um, design in the boardroom series that people wouldn't really talk about it because well, we don't want to discuss what we're doing. That's how we're accelerating into the future. So we, so you've got this interesting thing where government, and, and I, I wonder if it's also a failing uh, there, Philip, of a, a, a cross-language perspective. Design means so many different things in English, whereas in, in the Scandinavian language, it actually is more associated with the idea of extending and, and development, the Utveckling idea, which is actually about development. So, I, you know, that changes the dimensions. Sorry to jump in, Mark, but I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, and I, I think it's a lot is, is based on that, that sort of tradition. Uh, but I do think what's, what's also interesting in terms of um, you know, where there is a huge amount of growth in design at the moment, and I'm, I'm sure it's not just in, in London, but uh, internationally, is, is all of a sudden in the past sort of, I don't know, again, my, my perception is in the last sort of less than five years, the major management consultancy uh, businesses, practices, have, have all of a sudden started to understand that design is something that can be monetized uh, when they're dealing with certainly with public sector, but also with some of these very large organizations that are, um, you know, stealing a march on everybody. And I think, I think, you know, from, from banks to, um, again, to public sector, um, you know, design is, is, really where a lot of a lot of growth is taking place but a lot of that is delivered by management consultancies yeah. i want to i want to just dig in there a bit and simon then we're going to come back to you in a moment 
there was this very strange thing that happened with digital design. So websites, apps, that space. And those projects used to be in a relatively minor part of organizations. And then when the iPhone came around, they began to get C-suite attention. And what happened was, and this is possibly one of the most unusual economic shifts that I've seen that happens. The companies that were doing astounding work, they didn't understand that they were almost embarrassing the senior executives by the budgets that they were quoting were so far below the senior executives' minimum spend consideration because they were used to talking to somebody who was the production manager in one business unit. By the time they'd gone up three or four levels, they'd gone from somebody having a discretionary 50,000 pound budget into having a discretionary 50 million pound budget. And they were giving the same quotes because really the work that needed to be done was the same. It just was now it had to go actually go up through a management structure. And that's where the management consultancies came in. They knew how to have a 50 million pound conversation for a piece of work that was really, if you looked at the execution, was a 50 or maybe a 200,000 pound piece of work. But the value that they created was they could speak to the executive in the tone that they needed to speak about. They could speak about the risk. They could speak about the strategy because it was a design studio budget that they were getting. It wasn't a design strategy budget. It didn't have the management reporting in there. And all of a sudden, the people that, and, you know, it was the likes of McKinsey's and Deloitte's, those, those companies. And you know who they rang up to go actually do the production work? It was the people who had previously been doing the work and they said, well, seeing we're managing it, give us a 20% discount. <laughs> so you go, it's still the same people doing the work, but because it had gone up in the strata of the organisation, it now had to have middle management, it had to have risk management, it needed to go have strategic thinking in it, it had to be acceptable for the level of the executive. So what's interesting is design is in the boardroom. The issue is design production people aren't in the boardroom, it's design strategists are in the boardroom. And there's this gulf where the people who are in design strategy don't identify themselves as designers, they identify themselves as strategists and, and consultants. And we forget that they're actually the people who commission and hire design studios to do work. And so I think all of that, uh, the talk that you're having about the education, like the UK still is the go-to place for people when it comes to design education. The London Design Festival is still the world's leading design festival when, because there's those cultural from the execution level. But where we seem to have a bit of a gulf is there's a ceiling where the people who are in studio mindset can't seem to get up into being involved with that executive level discussion they can't talk about design innovation accelerating economies in ways that translates to executive speak. What they can do is talk down to people who are trying to go do an execution on a project, not speak up to the people who are commissioning the work. And I think that's the big gulf that we're seeing culturally 
So we're very fortunate that those management consultancies have stepped in. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're the best of breed to do it. It just means they're the people who are currently doing it. And I think what we're going to see over the next five to 10 years is people who get spat out by the, uh, by the design, uh, the executive culture firms, by the management consultancy firms, and they're going to come up with these amazing companies. If you go think of an organisation like Frog, so Frog's really interesting that they came from this great culture of doing amazing work. Now they've been acquired by an engineering firm and that they sit somewhere in that structure in, in this engineering firm. I think they're still trying to work out exactly where they fit. But the type of projects that the engineering firm was getting, they needed to go have that executive input. So Simon, how do you think the candidates that you're working with do you think they understand that idea of are they going into a design studio for a production execution or are they going into more of a middle management executive reporting strategy or is it still a little bit hard to identify where people are trying to put their future and their imagination of how they can contribute? Um, no, I think people just are thinking about it as a studio. Um, a lot of people I deal with are transferring from another sector in a, a different industry, maybe as lawyers, as doctors as well. So people are just keen to get into the industry. They're not, they're not thinking about the, the, the strategy or anything like that at all. It's, just, it's about getting experience, getting a job, um, getting a foot in the door and uh, trying to you know, build up that experience and build up that portfolio. And, and some people, I would say quite a lot of people are ambitious enough that they want to be a certain person in that in the design field. They look up to certain designers who have, as they would see it, become successful. And therefore they say, oh, I really want to work for that brand or I really want to work for that company. I love the work that they do. Um, so that is how a lot of people I work with are seeing design. It's still highly creative. It's still very tactile. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next kind of week or so when the London Design Festival does actually start um, in terms of who's out there and about. Because I've been around Telkenwell recently and it's so, so quiet and it's just eerie. I'm not used to that. Um, and it's somewhere I've worked and it's been a real hub for so many years. And it was kind of sad when I came back from France and saw that. And, um, and I went specifically on a weekday, not at the weekend. And I know some places are by appointment. So I'm hoping that, you know, that will recover. But that is a, an example of how the economy has been affected because of Brexit and, and the pandemic. Um, there seems to be, and I, seeing it, somebody who's been away in another country for quite a long time, I can see that there's been almost the heart ripped out of, of parts of the city of London. And I'm hoping that they will cover because there is now a bit more momentum. There is certainly enthusiasm, energy for people, you know, to return from holidays that they never had. Um, so September is a really key month for design in London. It will be a real barometer. I'm really excited, slightly nervous, um, but I'm, I'm throwing myself into it. I'm going to be going to events. I'm hoping to see lots of people I haven't seen for a long time. Um, but yeah, there, there's a slight nervousness of some designers I speak to as well because of what's been happening in the last year or two. Um, 
and there was a bit more confidence for a while and now things have moved on and we can move out and go to places I think some people have become a little bit more um, uh, skeptical or you know just unsure um, so I think September is a good month to kind of get that confidence back and for people to see each other again I think it will really really help um, it's a it's a it's the boost that we need it's almost like a a vaccine for the industry yeah. and, and look at, and i think you know i know for, I, i've talked about how the center of design has moved it doesn't mean that those other design services have disappeared they're still necessary they're serving a great role in our community but the unmet need appears to be racing forward with other other challenges that are out there and i think of the um, the derwent um uh, property developers I'm incredibly impressed with them. You know, they're about architecture, they're about interior design, they're creating productive workspaces for their clients who are their tenants. They are kind of the epitome of how they've worked out how to go and take some reasonably staid architecture for commercial offices and interiors and apply themselves of how do we go get high productivity workspaces for our clients like Adobe, like their tech startups who want to go and actually accelerate into the future and do and have embraced design at their core to make sure that they can meet those challenges. So, you know, they need to get across to, to all of the things that are happening in Clerkenwell and they need to get across to 100% design and they need to go see all of those things which are about the built space. But... The reason they're doing that is that the tenants that are in those buildings are actually propelling the economy in a totally different direction, which is disrupting the status quo. I think, Philip, you referred before about the uh, use of the reference of the platform. And I know in the high-tech industries, they talk about the burning platform, which is you're standing on a platform, but just to one side of you, there's a fire on that platform. And so you better build out the new platform faster than the fires catching you and burning out your current platform. And so the, if I go think of people who had platforms, and I'll go a company like Thomas Cook. You know, so Thomas Cook basically had a platform which wasn't that different for about 20 or 30 years. And then a high-tech innovation company comes in and they burnt through the Thomas Cook platform in six months. So that company is now destroyed and, is, and has disappeared because they didn't have the innovation and they didn't have the design momentum in the organisation to thrust them forward. And I think that's such a responsibility that we talk about how fast the rate of change is happening because platforms that used to be relevant are now highly irrelevant, particularly in government services. What do you think, Philip? I mean, it's a really interesting example. And, and again, I, I you know, it, it's so easy to sort of characterize it uh, in, with a fairly broad brush approach. But uh, I think, you know, that the, the model, uh, you know, tends to be we're all utterly seduced by the promise of, you know, the, a better uh, end product at a lower price. And we all absolutely steam in um, the existing providers disappear. But then, you know, we, we kind of then have problems when it comes to perhaps trying to, to engage the, the deliverer of, of that product at the lower price. Um, you know, so what happens if we have a, you know, we want to get in touch with them? You know, do they, do they have people available to answer inquiries? 
probably not. Um, you know, I've been doing some, uh, it's not an age related thing at all, but, but trying to look at uh, pensions and, you know, where, how, how do you gather information about various pensions that you may have uh, accumulated, um, you know, which is, which is absolutely fine. But, you know, if you want to speak to somebody about it, if you want to actually get service delivery along with, you know, the cheaper product, you're, you're absolutely not going to be able to succeed. So I, I think, you know, we're, we're, we've gone into it, we've been utterly uh, enraptured by better service uh, or the serv same service at a lower price. Um, but, you know, it, is, it, is it really delivering what we wanted? So, you know, I think you can broaden that to look at, um, you know, almost every different business sector that where where transformation has happened and and i guess ultimately um uh, and again it's this may be a particularly uk thing look at our high streets look at london and and certain town centers you know that have been hollowed out look at department stores um you know we've we've lost those um and whilst other countries may not have lost those to the degree that we have you know whether or not we're uh, so motivated by by price and by having stuff arrive at our front doors on the next day, um, you know we we've kind of sacrificed stuff that's actually now we're starting to realise is really important and uh, and shouldn't just be the place where you know you go and get a haircut or gets dominated by bedding shops and uh, and and loads of places to go and have coffee. I think there needs to be a bit more than that. So I'm going to call out something here, which is every tech startup is basically dumping their product and service as a um, offensive campaign to bankrupt their uh, the encumbrant, so that when they disappear, they can eventually go and own the market. It is it is a type of economic war, you know, it's. We, we don't talk about that, but if you've got a company that says, even Amazon, they're making money hand over fist, their growth is incredible, but their strategy is we will not actually operate at a profit. We will now plow those profits back in to attack the encumbrance and disrupt markets. That is an, uh, that's an, that's an attacking, you know, the, the idea of the corporation was meant to be a shareholder return. It was meant to be that, that there was wealth that was being created through this process and there was meant to be all sorts of wealth. There was meant to be wealth for the workers that were being created. There was wealth that was going to be generated for the shareholders. There were wealth that was being generated for their supplies. These organisations are stripping out wealth creation for a range of people and are fundamentally damaging our economy. They're damaging economies around the world. And we have government officials who are actually lauding them and saying that this is the future. Now, I'll go back to the botanical gardens. It's okay to take a cutting. It's not okay to cut down the tree. <laughs> you know, and, and we've got to remember that sometimes we've taken things a little bit too far. And, you know, and we see great examples. We see organisations like Tesla. Will, I think you, you've been impressed with what Tesla have been doing. You know, they've totally accelerated the, the automotive market. 
But there's also some questions about is Tesla the actual answer? If you go in and look at from a sustainability perspective, the lithium batteries inside a Tesla car are near impossible to go extract out of the car. Now that might be an early model, but they've still got the same process there. They haven't really brought in the best design principles. They haven't thought about the stewardship of the product so it can actually go through its life cycle and return to worth of the circular economy. So Tesla isn't the perfect company, but they've done more to actually accelerate and take us into the future. And they've woken up some sleeping giants there. But those sleeping giants, uh, they're pretty big if you go think of the car companies. You know, I think Volkswagen has, has got a tremendous march on there doing great things with their electric cars. Ford are doing similar um, great things with their electric cars. But we've seen that they woke up some sleeping giants, which is probably what disruption is meant to be about. What do you think, Will? Yeah, it's interesting that notion of disruption, isn't it? Because um, I think you know there are there are sectors which haven't had that disruption, and we are living in a very sort of fast-paced um, bit of history whereby the tech kind of mentality has enabled us to sort of look at uh, different sectors and shake them up. And you get the fear around, particularly retail, which is obviously the most sort of explicit one that there isn't much thought beyond uh, the disruption. So sustaining uh, good practice, you know, high quality produce, making sure that there's, you know, the sustainable delivery throughout the kind of supply chain. Those are the things that are, you know, are, are questions that need to be asked when those, when those industries are disrupted. Uh, there, you know, I think the car manufacturing is a really interesting one because of course it's been uh, heavily problematic, but now innovation is racing through that industry, and um, you know zero emissions is, is the, the sort of touchstone. And legislation is changing quickly, and so therefore, um, you know the amount of design thinking that's going on is really interesting. And so these are these are really interesting times. And I think it's easy to sort of point at where design isn't having an impact, but it is also important to recognise where it is. Um, uh, you know, there's there's no such thing as Kind of perfection but nonetheless putting kind of design innovation at the front of um, where these markets are heading is, is definitely the right way to go yeah and simon i think you've been noticing that the your local the you know the idea of a more local purchase has been taking off inside your your you know community that there's a thriving i want to shop local i want to actually be doing i want to see my dollar going around inside my own community which is almost like a rejection of what we were talking about these tech companies doing which is let's make sure we're spending locally to the people i know yes yeah, so i think that um, you know it happened before i went away but i'm more aware of it now especially because i have been into the west end of london and it seems like it's a bit of a ghost town um it doesn't appeal to me as much there's not as much as i i'd like to see going on and i i'd go you know quite on a regular basis in the past whereas now i feel i don't need to do that there's there's actually restaurants that have opened locally um rather than ones that have closed more centrally so i can go to restaurants if I want to do that. There's um, Marks and Spencer have just refurbished my local branch and they've made it fantastic. Um, it was good, but now it's fantastic. So it's got atmosphere, music, it's like a really good experience. The, the lighting is brilliant, literally. 
and it's they're just concentrating on food so they know that that is their market so let's do it really well and there's another supermarket that's going to be opening to um locally to me so it seems that you there's a sense that um retail and other kind of companies are thinking okay we will have to close branches in soho in westminster whatever and i've seen that happen but let's really look at neighborhoods and i've been to crouch hill i've been to dulwich i've been to hackney islington and you can see that there's more life and energy in those areas there's perhaps more investment and there are people who have now got a very different lifestyle the nine to five way gone so there's a lot of people that seem to be around who can actually um make the most of those local facilities and things so i think it's it's going to have um you know a future and it's just it's sad when i you know did go to the west end and i went to where heels and habitat were and habitat has gone and that's just a big void and you think that is something that was um innovative at the time and um groundbreaking and it's sad to, to not see it there and yet it's not been replaced by anything you don't know how long that's going to be um so yes local i think is something that's been um around for a long time but you absolutely see see it um coming to the fore and being pushed and and being part of society in a very important way um absolutely so i'm enjoying that well si similar to the uk australia had a um, automotive industry and we had uh, an offshoot, offshoot of the Opal General Motors um, brand here. We had Toyota making cars. We had Chrysler making cars. That finished a while ago. Uh, Mitsubishi were making cars here. And we also had Ford. And a, a few years ago, the government said, we're no longer going to su support with subsidies, the automotive industry. And it, it basically has all gone. What is interesting is Ford still maintain a 500-person design centre here in Melbourne uh, for international design models because of the design expertise. But the people who worked on the production line and the associated suppliers are gone. But the most important fact is that there are more people working serving coffees in Melbourne every day than there ever were working on the production lines in the in those multiple factories. And so you say, well, you know, we see we see econ economic models change. And rather than actually screwing bolts into car sh chassis, and that was how people earned their money and, and live their life, they're now asking, do you want turmeric latte? Do you want a chamomile milk latte? Do you want do you want an extra hot? Is a double shot? Is a decaf? And that's, the, that's their life. So, so work changes and work patterns change. But what I think what's really important is we need to understand things like Ford decided to keep their high value design service in Melbourne, a global center of excellence, the manufacturing part went. And we see that in the UK, that the high value design sector is thriving in the economy. And it's helping organisations to accelerate their economic goals and get to the future faster. And we need to make sure that we remind people that's the purpose of design. Design is actually when you commission somebody to give you leverage, either 
community leverage because it's about a government program that's been designed well, or it's economic leverage because a company says, we want to meet our customers' need and we want to do it better. And that's why you use design. You know, those two examples, like, it is an economic driver. It's not, to me, I think it should be part of the faculty of economics, not the faculty of art. You know, it's, it, yes, there is a, a cultural and there's an artisan part. That's the design studio. It's what does it do in the middle tiers of organisations to make them efficient, I think is the thing that we really need to focus on. Now, we need to go wrap up. We've been going for a while. Is there anything that any of you think that we're going to miss out on if we close soon? Philip, have you got any final words that you'd like to throw in for us? Well, I, uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, not, not wishing to be the... Uh, um, the one, the one to end things on the uh, the glass half empty perspective, but uh, you know, I, th I think there is an awful lot of good that is coming, um, high streets in particular, um, just on the, on the focus on that. But it is interesting that you know Amazon's already developing local store models, also developing department store models, um, you know, and and again, it, it's it's how I think. Uh, people perceive the good that those businesses are doing and perhaps you know what what businesses are giving back that that will drive um to a certain degree their success in the future but you know having said that you're, you're absolutely right uh, mark they're using designers um they're they're using very very sophisticated design models and design tools um and you know to to a degree without wishing to sound hypocritical we should celebrate that um you know, and it's it's a it is a dilemma, but it's I think part of part of uh, a constantly evolving world in which we live. So, um, without being too critical of that, I think it's here to stay. Yeah, and I think we're going to see that it will be leveraged more and more to drive those accelerated outcomes, and and that I think is one of our big challenges. The most important people to write about London Design Festival is not wallpaper and it's not design and it's not archa, you know, archi products. It's actually Bloomberg and the Financial Times. When Bloomberg and the Financial Times are talking about how design is accelerating the economic performance of organisations, we're getting a true reflection. It's very nice that the, um, say, the practice magazines are doing their thing but that's actually not a reflection of the economic impact that design has. And I think that's something that we all need to champion. Design accelerates economies. Simon, how about for you? Is there anything that uh, you'd like to wrap up with before we um, uh, get Will to close out for us? Um, yeah, I would just want to say I'm involved with the university and um, one thing that we're going to be doing is um, talking to the local community because we want to kind of reach out and make sure that they understand that what we're doing in the university is not just for the students or the faculty but it does have an effect on the wider economy and the wider community so I think that's something that needs to um, be emphasized and um, promoted actually that sort of approach about design that it is not just for a small group but it's a it has a bigger effect than that. So that's what I'd like to say. So I'm doing some work on that at the moment. So fantastic. And that's such an important thing that we can actually help people to understand the impact that higher education, um, grade school education has 
in because then we're stimulating the imaginations of people about new potential. Will, take us home. Uh, thanks, Mark. Listen, again, it's been a great conversation and I think Philip and Simon have made some great contributions. I think we've covered a huge amount of uh, territory. Uh, you know, picking up on the education point, creative problem solving is quite frankly the thing that needs to be embedded. That needs to go through whatever career um, prospects someone goes through, go through a kind of classical kind of design route. Naturally, that's something. But actually, that, that problem solving ability, design process, what you want needs to exist in all parts of kind of professional life if you like um i think the the point of the of the topic this month strong economy is a really interesting one and obviously a massive focal point uh, for us both generally in terms of how um economy strengthened but particularly now in this kind of post-covid or kind of rebuilding world and and fundamentally you know design innovation needs to sit very centrally to that and let's just hope it does well, I think that is a fantastic summary. Gentlemen, thank you so much for sharing your minds as we go look at how design innovation and a strong economy fit together. Um, always humbled to have your attention. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Mark. Great to talk to you.